So if you're new, uh, my name is Alan. Uh, if you've been here before, uh, name is still Alan. And uh, we are glad that you're here. We are looking at the whole shebang, God's overall story, and the second tab in, uh, in your binder, if you have one, the second tab there is entitled The Exile. Well, The Exile is this event that occurred in 586 B.C., where the Babylonians came in and they wiped people out. They wiped the Israelites out of their city, the city of God, Jerusalem, and actually exiled them uh, to uh, neighboring areas and particularly back to Babylonia. Now, before that happened, before the exile in 586, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he went to Jerusalem to identify the best and the brightest and take them to Babylon prior to the exile. The reason he did that is that he looked at what happened with the Exodus story, with Pharaoh and Moses going in and freeing the people from slavery in Egypt. You're familiar with that story, let my people go. That's the first tab in the Old Testament story. And he's familiar with that story and saw that when the Israelites were in slavery for a long time, they became stronger and stronger and stronger, very resilient people. So Nebuchadnezzar decided to do something different. He said, instead of putting them in slavery, why don't we indoctrinate them? Why don't we make them become our best and our brightest? So he took the best young men and he brought them over to Babylonia and he Babylonized them. What he did is he, he wanted to, to make them become their future leaders in Babylonia. And one of those young men who were carried over to Babylonia prior to the exile was a guy named Daniel, a follower of God, a prophet of God. And it's his story that we're going to be looking at today. And I know for some of you, this is kind of a favorite Old Testament section, a favorite Old Testament story, and there's a whole lot here. We're going to zip through it today. Had to really zip through it in the first service, but here we don't have time constraints here, so we're going to go to about 1.30, 2 o'clock, just get comfortable. Uh, this, is, this is good stuff, the, the book of Daniel. So uh, you can get a drink of water halfway through if you'd like. But uh, anyway, he showed tremendous amount of character while he was a young man in Babylonia, being Babylonized by Nebuchadnezzar and his crew. And that's the story that we're going to be taking a look at, at the character that he developed while he was there. As we head into that, would you bow your heads with me? Father, once again, we are thankful for your story, and we pray that it would once again come alive for us, that this is the living word. This is a living story, and we can read it 24 times and get 24 different amazing things out of it. And so today, I pray that, that hearts here in this room would get the right thing that you have for us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to join in with me in Daniel chapter 1. Once again, we're somewhere in the middle of the Bible. If you kind of go to the middle, you'll land somewhere on Psalms or Isaiah, and then go to the right through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the prophets we have been looking at, and then you'll land on Daniel. We're in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to take a look at the first example of the character that Daniel shows. Daniel chapter 1. Verse 3. 
Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, the best of the best. This is the group that Nebuchadnezzar chose, of which Daniel was a part. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. This was their process of Babylonizing them that they would become a part of the future of Babylonia. And one of the ways that they did that was giving these young, uh, uh, these young people the drink and the food of royalty so that they would be able to eat and drink like kings. And it was Daniel's response to that that becomes his first evidence of character. And because he says, no, he says, I don't want to eat like kings. I want to do something different. Jump to verse 12. Still in chapter 1, verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Now he's talking about himself and his three buddies. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and, dr- and water to drink. Then compare our appearance, appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Now, this is not about being a vegetarian. This is not about that whole thing. I mean, if God had not wanted us to eat animals, he wouldn't have made them out of meat. And so uh, that's not the point here. I'm not anti-vegetarian either. I mean, that's, but that's not the point here. The point is that Daniel, here early on in his stage in Babylonia, he is learning how to say no. He is learning how to have boundaries, how to stand strong, because soon they're going to become life and death issues. This is not a life and death issue. This is an opportunity for Daniel to learn how to stand strong. This week, my oldest turned 10, which is a little bit, I have a child who's in double digits. Bizarre for me. But anyway, my oldest turned 10, and it was a very exciting birthday because it was his first opportunity to drink pop. It was his pop birthday, and we celebrated all this. And the reason that he waited until he was 10 is that when he was 4, he used to refer to it as spicy water. And because he had tasted it a little bit. And so uh, one time when he was 4, I was drinking pop, and he said, Dad, can I have some? Can I have a glass? And I said, no. And he said, well, when can I have pop? And uh, my thought at that point, this was 6 years ago, my thought was, let's see, when's forever? Uh... When you're 10. I just threw it out. How about when you're 10? He said, okay. And so when he was six, he said, I got four more years to go. When he was eight, he said, two more years to go. And that just became the deal. That wasn't like this big master plan. That was kind of the thing that happened. And so now his siblings, uh, they know that they're not going to get pop until they're 10. Now, the point of that is not that pop is wrong at eight and it's right at 10. That, that's not the point here. The point that I love that just kind of naturally happened with, with, this, uh, with, our, with my oldest is that it's good for him to learn how to have boundaries. It's good for him to learn that, that dad loves you. Dad says, no, going to wait till you're 10. And he doesn't need to understand all the, 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 all the depths of all that's happening there. And he just says, okay. And so he has been going to birthday parties where they've had pop. They always have pop. You know, you go, whatever, the um, uh, pizza king or whatever the, the, what's the thing with all the stupid little toys? Yeah, Chuck E. Cheese, yeah. Uh, Sorry. Uh, so he goes to all those parties, and that's all they do. And so he has known for years that, no, I don't drink pop. And so I love that he's just learning how to say no. He's been drinking pop nonstop uh, since his 10th birthday. But, 
But, but there's, there's something about the, the character-building process of learning how to say no. And so for Daniel, this situation, this is the classic temptation. He's surrounded by other people who are eating and drinking the, the king's food, king's drink. And so this is the situation where he says everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. That is the classic moral compass that we struggle with. Everybody's doing it. This is the scenario when teenagers go to a party for the first time and have access to alcohol or drugs. This is the scenario when young men and women go to college and in their first year they have freedom that they've never had in their lives. This is what we parent toward. This is the moment where all that we have been parenting for goes towards that kind of moment, when they have the freedom to make choices like Daniel did. He's in Babylonia. He's miles away from home. What's the, what are the choices that he's going to make? And I know for us parents, it sometimes feels that what we're trying to pour into our kids is just, is just not getting there. They're just not getting it or it's just passing right through them. All the, it's just, just all the more of a reminder for us to continue to pour truth and wisdom and into them so that when they get to Babylonia, when they are being Babylonized by someone somewhere else, that they would have access to parts within their, their heads and their minds to say no, to have the character strength in order to do that. And Daniel, this young teenager, he was modeling that he could do that. And this kind of shapes the point that I want to make this morning that we can see out of the character of Daniel. And it's the title of the message is, Are We Willing to Go There? Are you willing in those dangerous, difficult, unsafe situations, are you willing to go there if that's what God wants you to do? Because Daniel had the safe option of just eating what other people are eating and just kind of going. There wasn't crystal clarity that, that God, that it was God's plan for him not to do this. He just decided this is a wall I'm going to draw. He had a choice there. And so he decided to stick his neck out and stand out and say, me and my friends, we're going to do something different for the next 10 days. He stuck out, and it was a dangerous thing to do that. What I mean by go there is that there are opportunities in life for us to do things or say things that are sometimes dangerous. We have regular opportunities to have dangerous conversations. Maybe they're small conversations like, like talking to a child's teacher about what's happening in the classroom or about talking to your uh, wife about the fact that you don't like her stew. And it's been 20 years, and it's about time that you actually let her know. She keeps on making it, thinking you like it, but you really don't. And you need to talk to her about that. Maybe it's small things like that. Or maybe it's larger things like confronting a close friend or challenging a boss. One of the things when I officiate a wedding is I feel the need to talk about sexuality. It is, it is an essential part uh, for us to talk about in our current context, in our current culture. And so... Uh, whether they're living together or whatever they're, uh, uh, whatever's happening with them, with their sexual relationship, uh, what I want to do is I want to challenge them to abstain from sex, if they're not, to abstain from that moment until we actually head into the wedding. Because I believe that, that the sexual uh, relation is reserved by God for the context of marriage alone. 
And so uh, what we'll do is we'll, uh, I'll challenge with that. And uh, let me just tell you, I've never had anybody regret accepting that challenge. Never had anybody get married later on and say, man, that was a waste of four months or whatever. There's something beautiful that happens, regardless of where you are sexually, of saying, I respect you and love you enough that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you that over the next chunk of time so that on our wedding day, we will be united in a beautiful way. I had a, I remember a number of years ago, I had a conversation with this older couple that I was marrying, and they were, they were older, it was, I think it was a second marriage for each of them, I'm not sure what the stories were, what happened with their previous, uh, previous spouses, very distinguished, wealthy um, couple that I was marrying, and they invited my wife and me out for dinner to have part of our premarital conversation, pre- part of our journey. We went to a really nice restaurant, and I wore clothes that I don't typically wear. You know, that kind of a situation. So it was the four of us in a really nice restaurant. We were talking, story, background, and then I went down the sexuality uh, uh, path and just asked them about uh, what their uh, current uh, sex situation is and asked if they would consider uh, abstaining between that. I mean, this was a very awkward moment. It was like, it was like asked it, and they talked about it. They looked at each other, and then it was one 1,000 awkwardness, two 1,000 awkwardness. And if you know my wife, you'd really appreciate this, but, but after about three 1,000 awkwardness, she says, would anyone like a roll? The rolls are delicious. You really ought to try a roll. Here, try one. I've had three. You really want to try it. I mean, she's jumping into there. And I mean, this was terribly uncomfortable. And, and we got to a point where we really talked about something meaningful and deep there, but my wife said, I will never do one of those meetings again. That was the last one. This was 10 years ago. I, I looked even younger then, and I was meeting with this older distinguished couple. There is, there is, there is a, there is, there are opportunities for us in life to enter into dangerous conversations. And the question this morning is, are you willing to go there? If you believe that it is the right thing, it is what God is inviting you or challenging you to do, are you willing to go there? Daniel was, and that's what we celebrate, and that's what we learned from here this morning. And his tenure as prophet in Babylonia, he served under three different kings. And under each of those kings, he, uh, he had the opportunity to boldly go there in dangerous, difficult conversations, difficult situations. Now, the first king was the king who actually took the Israelites into exile. It was Nebuchadnezzar, same king we have been talking about. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. We're now in uh, chapter 2. King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he couldn't figure out what the dream meant, and it was frustrating him, and he wanted to find out from his wise men or from his astrologers, what does this mean? And they couldn't tell him. In fact, they were frustrated with him, and they say to him, this is not a reasonable request. None of us can tell you what this dream means. Back off. And the king, who was the king, got mad, and he said, you're all dead. I'm going to kill you all because you can't answer my dream. You don't want to get too close to the king. Uh, Verse 14 here, chapter 2, verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At at, At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. This was a very dangerous thing for Daniel to do because if he had just shut his mouth 
he would have been fine because uh, uh, Arioch was after the wise men in king's court. And so they're the ones who would have been killed. Daniel would have been completely fine. He just kind of stayed quiet in the corner. He would have been fine. He sticks his neck out. If he's wrong, if the king doesn't like what he has to say, he's killed as well. And so, so often when we decide we're going to go there, one of the reasons we don't want to go there is that it comes with high risk. It's a dangerous thing. There is high risk to stepping out and going there in, the, in some of these conversations. It is a risky thing in terms of our sexuality to talk about it. It often feels, for many of us, very uncomfortable and unsafe. It often feels uncomfortable and unsafe for teenagers to talk to their parents about sex, about the morality of it, about sexual orientation, about the unknowns. It's often so uncomfortable and unsafe it feels for people to talk to their very best friends about sexual struggles or addictions, temptations, things that, that, that we need help with. It so often feels uncomfortable and unsafe for us even to talk with our spouses about sex, about frequency, about expectations. It's so often a, an uncomfortable conversation. Are we willing to go there? And there's so many other kinds of areas like this. It's high risk. When I was 13, my mom left our family. That was kind of a family story, family situation. And so my dad and my two older brothers and I were left to kind of figure things out on our own. And soon after that, so I was about 13 or 14, I remember one night when, uh, when I came home late and I went into the bathroom to prepare to go to bed. And the bathroom was in between my dad's room and my room. We shared this bathroom. And I came home late that night, and I was brushing my teeth, and I don't know, maybe I was singing in the bathroom, maybe I was just looking in, I don't know if you remember that age, just, just flexing, and see, if I stared long enough, maybe I could see something there, you know, whatever, and, and so uh, I'm just kind of doing whatever I'm doing in the bathroom, and, it's, and it's, I guess it's taking me a while. My dad comes out of the bedroom, because he was trying to sleep, and he comes in, and he says, he says, could you be any louder brushing your teeth? Thanks a lot, now I'm not going to get to bed for another couple hours. Thanks a lot. And then he goes and he walks into the kitchen. Now, I've been in trouble many times in my life. I mean, I am no stranger to getting in trouble. I know some of you look at me and say, wow, you're so charming. How could you have been in trouble? Yeah, 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 plenty of times. Plenty of times I was very comfortably, more than my brothers. I got in trouble. I got in a whole lot of trouble. But I knew that moment, uniquely, rarely, I hadn't done anything wrong. Something was very different here. And so I had a choice. Do I slip into my room and go to sleep and then wake up the next day and all this taken care of? My dad has always been great. Whatever happens the next day, done. There's no grudges, no carryover. He's always been amazing at that. I could just go to bed and the thing would be done. Or do I take the high-risk journey into the kitchen and talk to my dad who's upset with me? Well, I decided to make the high-risk decision to go talk to my dad. And it was like, uh, if you remember the movie Three Amigos, it was like uh, El Huapo's number two guy coming to him and saying, uh, could it be El Huapo that uh, there is uh, some kind of outside problem and you are taking that out on me? Could it be? I don't know if you remember that scene. And 
But that's basically what the conversation was. I think I even used a, a, a bad a Mexican accent when I talked to my dad. But, but that's basically what the conversation was. And we sat down and we talked for quite a while. And we talked about the reality. It was, it was the, the main time I ever remember talking about our mom leaving and how that all looked like. And I don't even know if my dad remembers that conversation, but I do. And I felt like there was a part of me that night that became a man. These conversations can be high risk. Absolutely, they are. Of course they are. Otherwise, it would require no character in order to engage in them. Are you willing to go there? Now, that doesn't mean that we get to just identify some stranger and just lay into them whatever we think, whatever we feel, because we're willing to go there with that person. That's not what that means. I, I drop my kids off. I don't know what this means. I'm sorry. Uh, I drop my kids off uh, at their elementary school in the morning, and I walk them there, and there's this section where I drop them off where the road curves, and they've got signs up all over the place that say no stopping. And so they've got other places where you're supposed to drop off your kids. And so this is a lot of kids going across the street and bikes and my five-year-old trying to maneuver her bike through there. And, and so the whole thing, uh, and there, there are cars who continue despite tickets and police who've tried to traffic this area and the whole thing, cars who continue to drop off their kids in that area. And I am tempted almost every time, almost every time, I'm tempted to go up to the driver, knock on the window, and have them roll down and just say, I would like to shake your hand. I would like to meet you because I've never met anyone who's actually above the law. This is really exciting for me. I don't know who you are, but you must be like an ambassador or something. This is really exciting. Have a good day. I mean, that's so what I want to do. I'm just telling you, I've never done it. I haven't done it. I'm just kind of opening up my heart, letting you know what I, what I want to do. And the reason I don't do that and the reason I can't do that is because when we go there with people, it has to be in the context of relationship. It has to be. We can't just go after anybody we want. It has to be in the context of relationship. In chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, the same king, he has another dream. And because he's in relationship with Daniel, he asks for Daniel to help him interpret it again. Chapter 4. Verse 24, this is what Daniel says. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the king. Against my Lord the king. Now, what we see continually in Daniel's story is that he often has to share not good news. I mean, the, the interpretation of dreams and what Daniel has to bring is often not positive. He's got to go there in dangerous conversations. Verse 25, you will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by you, uh, by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. Okay, you have to be in relationship with someone before you can tell them they're going to turn into a cow for seven days. That's just a rule of life. I mean, that is just a rule. Be kind to others. Be in relationship before you're going to tell your boss they're going to turn into a cow for seven days. Those are some of the basic things we learn in kindergarten. This is, this is you have to be in relationship for these things. Let me give you an example. 
it's approaching summertime. It's getting hotter. We turned on our air conditioning for the first time this week. And so what happens often here in this community is that the square footage of material worn by many women gets smaller. And so what I want to say is to, to the women of Mountain Park, I want to respectfully ask that you, as summer approaches, that you, you can look beautiful, but that you would dress modestly. Now, I don't think it is a reasonable response to say, well, I don't know the effect that this has on men. I believe you do. That's why you wear it. Okay? Now, now I, 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 I'm, I'm saying this in asking for your help for us men so that when we gather in this place, we can focus on the right thing. We can worship what we're supposed to be worshiping when we gather here in this place. Now, I believe I can say that here because we are in relationship. I wouldn't have said that my first Sunday. I really I believe in it, but I wouldn't have said that my first Sunday. If, this is, if you're brand new here, you can decide if this feels like it's genuine or not. But if you've been here for a while, you know I'm not venting. I'm not judgmental about it. I'm trying to be consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. That when we go there with people, whatever context... It needs to be in relationship where we have the assumption that they have our best interest in mind and we have their best interest in mind. There's a jump between chapters 4 and 5 in Daniel, a jump of about 20 years, and we shift kingship from Nebuchadnezzar to a guy named Belshazzar. Belshazzar. And... Belshazzar does not have uh, quite the relationship with Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar did. Belshazzar uh, was a king who liked to live like a king. He liked to drink and eat and party like a king. The very beginning of chapter 5 is about this party that he has arranged with thousands of people gathering, and there's a whole lot of alcohol. And during this party, there is a hand that, that starts to float in midair and starts to write on a wall. And this hand, we don't know exactly how big this hand is, but it's floating and it's writing on the wall. And all the people, they've been, you know, halfway through the party and they're kind of looking at what they're drinking going, wow, what is this? <laughs> As they're looking at, at, the, at the hand that's going on there. Now, the king is a little nervous. He wants to know, what does this mean? He can't understand the writing that's on the wall. What is this all about? And his, his queen remembers that there was this guy named Daniel who used to have who used to have the ability to interpret supernatural things. So they connect with Daniel and bring him into the fold. Once again, here in this story with Belshazzar, it's a, it's a high-risk situation because he has to tell King Belshazzar very bad news that the writing is on the wall. And, I mean, that's literally where this phrase comes from. It comes from Daniel chapter 5. The writing is on the wall it means this is it. This is the last Sign. In fact, the way the story continues on is that Belshazzar dies that night. This, this is it. You have strayed from, from God too, too long. He's got to give him bad news. There's a high risk factor for Daniel once again. And once again, there is relationship because the king invited Daniel to come and interpret it. Daniel didn't poke his nose in and say, let me tell you what's going on, Mr. King. The king invited him 
So there's relationship there. And what we can learn here from the story with Belshazzar is a little bit about Daniel's motivation. Jump with me, chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 16. This is the king saying, Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and to solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck and you will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Remember, the point here is uh, is us asking ourselves the question, am I willing to go there? If I believe it is the right thing to do, if I believe it is what God is calling me to do, am I willing and courageous enough to go there? So the question is, how do we know if it's the right thing? I mean, that's, that's a major filter there. How do we know if this really is the right thing to courageously go after? And Daniel here shows us that we have to look at our motivation to find out why is it that we're, that we, we're willing to say this? Why is it that we're willing to go there? And if there is personal benefit for you, if it is in your self-interest to go there, then walk very carefully. Walk very carefully. However, if there's no benefit to you personally, if you will not gain, if you do not have a vested interest, if you will not get credit or get paid for what would happen if you go there with somebody, then that speaks volumes about your motivation and about your opportunity to go there with someone. Daniel says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will go there. In other words, I'm not doing it for my own gain. It's just a good little check in terms of motivation. So, when we feel like it is the right thing to do, and we're courageous enough to do it, and it is in the context of a relationship, that still doesn't mean we get to go Rambo on somebody and just go after them. It's still, that's, that we still have to bring a level of tact, which Daniel does throughout his story, and we still have to be respectful. We still have to bring respect into that story. And so often, that is not the case. That is so often, that is not our story. We find, we find Daniel modeling respect in the third and final king that we want to look at here this morning. It's King Darius. This is now his third boss. And King Darius is the one who uh, has the, the, the story of Daniel in the lion's den, which is the most known and most beloved of the Daniel chapters. It's under King Darius that that happens. King Darius loved Daniel, loved him. But in a story that's very similar to Esther's, which is the story we're going to look at next week, in a story that's very similar to that, the people who were jealous of Daniel convinced the king, to, they tricked the king into setting up Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den. And how they did that is they convinced the king that he should write a law that says anyone who is worshiping anything or anyone other than the king, they should be banished, they should be thrown into the lion's den. 
And they did this because they knew Daniel was a devout follower of the one true God, that he prayed and worshiped God. They knew he wouldn't stop doing that. So they knew this would be his death sentence. The king foolishly signs it, trusts the wrong people. They capture Daniel saying he's been worshiping God and the king is caught. He's stuck. He has to throw Daniel in the lion's den. He has to follow his own rules. Otherwise, the whole kingdom will break down. He has to do it. So he very reluctantly throws him in the lion's den. It says that he had a hard time sleeping that night. Oh, poor baby. Daniel's the one thrown in the lions, and then the king has a hard time sleeping about it. But anyway, uh, we're going to jump into the story, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 19. At the first sight of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My son sent his, my God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And that's where the story ends. Wait a minute, verse 24. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. That part of the story we don't put on a flannel graph in Sunday school very often. <laughs> the story, the story in, in the Bible is not always safe. It's true it's wise, it's not always safe. There are dangerous parts of this story. And what Daniel models here is the need to show respect. Let me back up and reread verse 22. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, king. I stand here and I have never had ill will towards you, king. I have, I have always been thinking about your best interest. That is why I continue to have a voice with you. That's why God chose to save him here in this moment, because he had integrity through the whole process. He respected the king, whether, the, whether he agreed with the king, king's decisions or not. Didn't agree with his law. He continued to respect the king throughout the whole process. What often, often so happens is that when we decide it's the right thing to do, to go there, to have a dangerous conversation with our, our kids, with our friends, with our spouse, with our boss, with our parents. So often we do that and let us set aside the respect piece. We need to do that with respect. You want to you confront somebody that you care about? Bring in every cartload of respect you can imagine into that conversation. Because remember, if you enter into a conversation like that, into one of these kind of go-there conversations, you win and that person loses, you both lose. You both lose. Go in there with respect, hoping that both of you can come out of there winning because you cared about one another, because you loved one another. Daniel models for us the courage and the strength to be able to go there when we feel it is the right thing to do, when we feel it is the thing that God is calling us to do. So what about you? Do you feel like there is something that God 
has challenged you, called you to do? Do you feel like there's a conversation that God is challenging you to go there with, to enter into, to take the lead on? Maybe it's something that has been brewing for a long time. What's holding you back? What's the worst thing that could happen? What's the worst thing that could happen? Set your pride aside. What's the worst thing that could happen? You're not going to be thrown into the lion's den. And even if you are, God's good. God has proven over and over again, way back then, and time and time again now, He is an amazing God who can do amazing things when we are courageous and willing to go there with Him. Let's pray. Father, only you know the stories here in this room and the ways that you are challenging and inviting some of us to go there. God, I pray that we would remember Daniel if we decided to go there, God. That we would check our motivation as to why we want to do this, that we would embrace the reality that this is a high-risk situation, that we would remember to be in in, in the context of relationship and to bring respect into that. Father, most of all, would you, would you give us the courage and the supernatural ability to go there in ways that we don't naturally do on our own so that you can do transforming things in our relationships, in our painful, hurting relationships, that we can communicate with our spouse, with our boss, with our friends in ways that we never have before. Because in a loving way, we are willing to go there. Because we love you, and we love the people that we're doing life with. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.